Yeah, we may not be young, we may not be pretty, we may not be right good. But we're here. We're live. And for one night only, we're going for the full Monty. It's Manson Mitchell on the weekend with Gary Manson's Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to power up your day. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. Happy weekend to you. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. Together, we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour, and we are joined ably, as always, of a Saturday by tall guy Nathan Miller. How are you, Nathan? Doing well, Gary and Suzanne. Just breathing in as much of the good air as I can with the smoke haze hanging around Seattle right now. Ooh. It's that time of year, and I hate saying that. And yet, year after year, we see this. It has become a familiar pattern and not limited to the narrow category of summer as it used to be. Well, that's just what happens when we live in like this little convergence zone. I mean, it's not always the rain that it converges. It's the smoke, too. If we ever get some neighboring smoke, it'll just sort of funnel through the Puget Sound and work its way out in a few days. It's not expected to stay around too long. So we'll be out of this soon. And how is your personal life going, Nathan? I understand you have a point of pride in the neighborhood. I do. I'm a bit of a pool player, and I've been playing in leagues for quite some time now, but just one, and just this past Friday night, I decided to join a second league, and I my debut went a lot better than I expected. Oh, really? So you didn't burden yourself with excessive expectations? <laughs> Well, I mean, I didn't realize the person I was playing, I was looking, because you can see the stats online and stuff like that. This guy I've been playing, went playing against, he was uh, been playing as long as I've been alive in this league alone. I mean, so he's been playing other places a lot more, and he's played over um, almost a thousand matches and won a little over 80% of those. Well, I just wow. uh, made my debut in the new league, and that's who my opponent was, and I beat him. Good for you. Nice. Yeah, this has a whole uh, Ali versus Frazier vibe going on here. We'll wait and see at the <laughs> summit. Yeah. Very good. We'll have to find out if our good friend Becky Walsh, who joins us live today from England, I don't know about any of her extracurricular activities, possibly to include billiards, but I'm not sure. We'll find out from the lady herself in just a moment. Becky Walsh has been an author, teacher, consultant, speaker, and workshop leader in the field of intuition and spirituality for many years. <clears throat> she is the author of five books, including the Amazon bestseller, Advanced Psychic Development. You want me to take over from this while you clear your throat? <laughs> Nothing in here about billiards. However, she is... A favorite of ours. We always love it. But love it when Becky Walsh joins us. She's insightful. She's funny. She's compassionate. All of the things you would hope for in a human being. So let us say hello on an occasion that actually came about synchronistically. I must say, welcome Becky Walsh. Thank you so much. I know it's been very synchronistic, um, and it's really, really good to join you again. And at a very interesting time for the United Kingdom, let's just put it that way. It's an uh, interesting time. I was looking at the dates when uh, we learned of the Queen's passing, and I said to Suzanne, I'll bet you that we were not yet born, either one of us, when, she, when uh, Queen Elizabeth II became Queen Elizabeth II. There, So we looked it up on Wikipedia, an unimpeachable source of information, of course. And having done so, I found out that 
Queen Elizabeth became the queen just what, a couple of months before you were born, Suzanne. Correct. There and before I was born as well. So we don't know what it, you folks over there are having to get used to it there because someone would have to be pretty doggone old to remember the queen as a princess. And now there is King Charles III. It, it feels strange over here. How must it feel in London and environs? Oh, just hugely strange. I mean, my mum was seven when uh, when she became queen. And actually, I was listening to the radio the other day, and they worked out that in the life of America, how long the queen had actually been been around for in the life of America. And it was something ridiculous, kind of like just over a quarter of the time that America has actually existed as America. Something, it was, you just suddenly, the age of the person suddenly comes into um perspective with how long she's lived and what she's seen so i think it's something like four, 14 u.s presidents that she's met that sounds um, right yes yeah about that um and so england is a really weird place at the moment and i i'll admit i i didn't you know i didn't know her so i didn't really you know it's that idea of association and you think oh well it probably won't really affect me that much and um one of my roles is in in comms in local government so uh like so I do that kind of part time because I, I I'm I was into personal transformation for years. I still do all of that and now I do a town transformation by working in in government and I think it's a really cool thing to be doing. So I was quite involved with we were all waiting and thinking and I could tell having worked for the BBC that she'd already died in the afternoon by the way that they were presenting and what they were saying. So I was just waiting for the six o'clock news because there's a thing called London Bridge. And what that means is it's the protocol if a member of the family dies and um, they're all named after different bridges in, in, in London. So she's London Bridge. So you have these secret squirrel meetings about what you would do and what the protocol would be because you've got like 30 minutes. Well, you've got half, you've got an hour to change your website to black with a particular photograph on the homepage. One hour from point of it being said, your social media accounts. Um, and then you've got something like two hours to lower your flag to half mast on any public buildings. So there's a huge amount that has to happen really quickly. So you can't be having a glass of wine um, <laughs> at six o'clock in the evening. And right. um, so we all flowed into action. And then just later on in the evening, it hit me and I just sobbed. I just absolutely sobbed because, like you say, she's been a part of our lives the whole of my life. She's, I see her every day if I spend any money. You know, she's, she's just an archetype of everything that it is to be a queen. So it's a very, very weird time, I think, not just for the UK, but I think for the world, actually. Is the money going to change now? Yeah. So... I don't know how quickly. Um, I don't think it, it can change that quickly. But um, I went uh, retail therapy today and uh, I bought a new pair of trousers. And instead of putting it on my card, I spent cash because I was like, going to have to get rid of this. <laughs> That's my excuse. But everything, even, you know, going to the store, listening to the radio, um, it's all somber music. It's very depressing. I don't think I can hear another sad song by uh, Ed Sheeran, I'm done, or Adele, done. Um, and in the shop, it's the same. Every Everywhere is playing really sombre music. So you, you really can't escape the mood of the nation right now. Mm. How do people 
react to this event, which at 96, the queen, her days were numbered as all of ours would be in a similar circumstance. And yet there is still the shock. Oh, that really just happened. So how do, how do people, how do Londoners, how do people throughout the UK approach this? How do you approach this when you're looking at and talking with another person, be it on the street, at work, in the stores, when together you have this shared experience as a nation? How do you deal with it with each other? I think, you know, we, we heard the rumours that she had long COVID and that she was still struggling from, from COVID. So we, we all kind of were, it was all these benchmarks, please let her make it to the Jubilee, please let her make it. And it was very, to be honest, I think it was just very nonchalant, like, like you, you know her age and you know, I think it's like any member of your family um, who passes, everyone knows it's coming, but until it actually happens, you really don't know how you're going to react. And I, I was, um, I stepped out of my house to go and feed my neighbour's cat. Who, um, and so I stepped out of my house to go and feed my neighbour's cat. And a neighbour from across the road caught me and she just ran across the road and went, are you all right? Are you okay? I said, yeah, I'm okay. And it's that thing of, of I know what you're talking about, but we're not going to say it. And then she has this beautiful brooch of, of kind of the crown and everything. So she obviously is feeling it. So I, I pointed out the brooch and she just welled up, just absolutely welled up. And then the same thing happened. I went to go and see um, there's an exhibition on and a friend of mine made a little film for the exhibition. So I went and um, had a look at that. And a lady who I know um, came in and sat next to me. And it's a film. And suddenly we started talking. How are you doing? I'm OK. Well, Oh God, it's awful, isn't it? And then somebody shushed us, so we had to come out. I mean, it was terrible. We should we shouldn't talk in a film. That's one of my number one number one rules. But I think it's like we need to talk about it. We can't stop talking about it. I think we're we're just in still in a in a state of um, disbelief. And I think as a country, we felt. I mean, for those of us, I think even if you did vote for Brexit, you regret it now. So we have felt untethered from Europe and now we have been untethered from our mother archetype. Um, so we are feeling very untethered and very adrift as an island. Um, and I, I think it, the next few months are going to be very interesting in the whole psychology of the UK, especially as we're heading into um, quite significant energy bills um, you know, significant kind of cost of living. We are ha we are about to have a new pandemic, but our next pandemic, well, not pandemic, maybe hopefully not the whole world, but um, what's coming towards us now is is definitely going to be food poverty and the like that none of us have ever seen. So we've lost an anchor as we're heading into a time of real financial uncertainty. So scary. I think we're all a bit. I think we're all a bit adrift and a bit scared. I have not heard about this food shortage. What seems to be the problem causing that, Becky? The price of fuel. Um, so what's what seems to have happened is, I mean, and I think it's off. I think I think the importing of things has gone up off the back of Brexit. So what we're bringing into the company has gone up. Quite often there's sort of delays and shortages and things not getting to us. Uh, so that's happened. Um, and I know it's really weird. I don't feel like I'm actually talking about my own country right now. I'm having this conversation. Uh, you know, we've got shortages. Uh, and then the, the price rise. So my energy bills 
um, have gone from £600 a year to £1,000 a year. Um, So just like that, like that quick. So um, also, I think that the interest rates have also gone up. So people are then very worried if they haven't got fixed rates on loans, then all of our interest rates have gone up. So that would be your mortgage interest rate has gone up. Uh, Luckily, I tied mine down for five years so I could sort of see that this was coming. And some very sensible people tied down their energy uh, price as well. Um, But all of these things are happening and people are starting to really struggle because businesses have not bounced back from COVID. And a lot of, um, say, for example, this will touch the heart of millions. um, The price of a pint is set to go up to £17 a pint, which means that most of our pubs won't be able to withstand that. So, you know, a lot of our restaurants, a lot of our pubs are all kind of really worrying about. And of course, because this is on the news constantly, people are then becoming very tight with money because they're like, oh, my gosh, we're going to go into a, a, you know, a cost of living crisis. Um, And it is it's on the news all the time. I mean, to be honest, it's a bit of, you know, now the Queen has has passed. We're not hearing it so much, but we were hearing it constantly every day. In fact, just today I had um, a message sent to the council with the woman saying I haven't got enough money to eat. We have a community fridge where we give away free food. So food that is just close to its sell by date is donated to us by supermarkets. And every day about um, 11 o'clock, we have a queue going out of the shopping centre with people trying to get free food because they haven't got enough money to eat. And our food banks are are overflowing and we haven't even got to the bit yet. This is before the energy rises really hit us and we're already at that stage. Gloomy. It it is difficult. And during uh, this is a... Of course, one far overshadows the other. Nevertheless, simultaneously, you have the passing of the torch, if you will, certainly the passing of the crown. Now we have King Charles III, and it was his duty to greet a new prime minister, a lady prime minister. At this very time, I think it was the Queen's last official act was to welcome her. Yes, which is completely mad. And so, I mean, to be honest, those of us who don't uh, vote conservative were kind of and unhappy with Boris Johnson, who has got us into this mess. It was like she lived long enough to boot him out of the door. <laughs> she made sure he was gone, <laughs> greeted him. And I can just imagine, because, I mean, obviously... You know, the thing about her is you never got to know what she thought about anything. So she was always kind of, you never, you got her sense of humour, but you never got to really, you know, she was very poker-faced about anything that she thought. You can just imagine that if she knew that she was at this particular point of life, she could have like said, oh, sort it out, will you, to, to, to the next Prime Minister. So, you know, and I think it's, uh, yeah, so she saw, that was the last thing she did was, was bringing a, in another female Prime Minister, which is, I think uh, our third or fourth, something like that. So, yeah, so that, that's very interesting. And then, of course, um, King Charles, has. that's going to be hard. Uh, King Charles has already met her. So um, lots of pomp and circumstance today. Uh, lots of listening to the national anthem with, you know, God save the king. It just... It's just strange. And of course, I don't think we're going to, I mean, there won't be another female monarch in in my lifetime, but possibly not even sort of like children or grandchildren's lifetime having a female monarch. So yeah, that's that's another ending point too. When the new prime minister made her remarks upon the queen's passing, she ended those remarks by saying, God save the king. And I looked up at the TV and I said to myself, well, that's different. 
It really it, is. It, it really affects is. the national psyche, does it not? It really does. And, it, you know, and I don't know what to make of that either, because I, I don't know if that is, you know, when, when you kind of like think about sort of power dynamics and archetypes going from that sort of feminine, well, I don't know if I call a feminine particularly, but that female queen archetype into a king archetype. Um, and I, I think she was archetypal in a number of different ways. I think she, she you know, I, I would like to say she embodied everything that there is archetypal about being queen. However, I think she actually created everything that there is archetypally about being a queen. So all of the different elements that you would expect, that grace, that pause, that never showing emotions, that being able to be that sturdy kind of force in that solidness of power, and then having that giggly personality, that sense of humour, that sort of, um, yeah, that, that real grace about it as well. So I think in terms of sort of what, what we've lost in terms of the balance of story, the story that is the United Kingdom of what we are made up of and who we are, we are in a transitional period of that. So I think it's quite interesting. And I mean, I think Charles is also very outspoken. So he's been known, he's not allowed to do this, but he's been known to write, um, I am, one is displeased, uh, letters <laughs> to, uh, one is feeling very displeased. Um, yeah, writing these letters to um, our prime ministers. So I think that that's quite interesting. I wonder, because obviously he's not allowed to be outspoken, but I wonder if he will be. And also his viewpoints on the environment as well uh, are very strong. And that's another that's another kind of crisis that we're all heading for globally. Um, and I wonder whether or not he will have any influence on that now. Uh, maybe less influence. I know he's got to step back from a lot of his charities and things like that. So maybe less influence than he's had up to his life. I don't know. I think that um, Queen Elizabeth did look to some of the past female monarchs uh, of her time, Victoria and and others before her. But I think she did create herself and she created royalty in the modern age. So as far as keeping a a stoic appearance and and not getting involved in politics and and all of the things that she did, she came of age when her her coronation was on TV. And and now it's expanded uh, considerably with the internet. And and so um, I think that she actually set the stage there for Charles, who has indicated, you know, he won't be doing his charitable work, he's going to be devoting himself to, to being king. And I think that he will do well to um, copy her in large part. And um, to be to be coaching and training William, who will likely have a, a longer kingship were he to take over for his dad. Yeah. It was interesting today before you came on, we were watching the two couples, the two brothers and their wives greeting people on the long walk. I learned what the long walk was today and a two and a half mile entrance to uh, for the people to come and, and make their petition. Petitions to to the king or queen, 
and and there they are with at least at least a mile's worth of people and they're going back and forth across to one side and the other side to greet as many as they can but all the commentary is on the two brothers getting along so it's interesting where that might not have been very much in focus now with the change at the top people will be looking at not only charles and camilla but also at harry and william uh, quite closely yeah i think so and i think that they've done a really good job in doing that united front together because i think that we need it we need to see them you know like that and because nobody nobody wants brothers to quarrel especially after the childhood they had you know so and william's very popular um, so, you know, well, Harry's very popular as well because of his because of his kind of like gung ho kind of attitude. Um, but, yeah, I think that that's interesting. There was also a shot today um, with Charles getting a little bit flustered about having to sign um, the, the proclamation. And there was something like a like an ink dipping thing and it was in the way. So he, he kind of like was asking his aide to move it for him. And. And I did think it was really interesting that he had to ask his aide twice to move it for him. And he was getting very irritated by this thing. And it was the first time he actually, I could see, he showed any signs of being stressed. I mean, you know, his mother's just died. This must be all just hugely stressful. And he literally just was like, I need this to move and I can't move it. I can't do anything with it. Then William came and had to sign the same thing, same space on the table, same object in the way. And William just picked it up and put it on the opposite book. Like, I mean, whether or not, you know, there's some kind of protocol about the fact that you can't just dump it on on the book that you're not signing, but he just dumped it on the book he wasn't signing so that he had the elbow room to be able to sign. And there was something very kind of, and I could see also Camilla a couple of times, you, you know, when you've got, this is the, this is like um, the way that my mum used to be with my uncle. So my uncle sometimes would get doddery and overwhelmed about things on a desk. and But you reach a certain age where you can't quite fathom what it is that you need to do with it. And, um, and so she would come over and move it for him. And it was very reminiscent of that. It made me think about when you're stressed and overwhelmed and, and you're not in the right part of your brain where you can actually consider what it is that you just need to do with an inanimate object um whereas William obviously isn't in that kind of flustered place because he hasn't got so much going on I really felt for him in that moment I thought you're really sort of showing all of the emotions that are coming up and and how difficult this is um and in a way where the Queen probably wouldn't have wouldn't have shown that in quite the same way she probably would have just looked at the aid looked at the object and expected the aid to kind of like just come and move it um but yeah i think it's i think i think it's tough isn't it we forget that they're human i think that that's the one thing we do we forget we forget that people are human and that they've got a lot going on right now and people will in the presence of royalty particularly in the case of the queen even a prime minister like theresa may can quite inadvertently drop a serving of cheese at an official function. And then she had a split second decision she shared with Parliament and the world, I think it was yesterday, telling that story and getting a big laugh. And she turned around and the Queen had not missed a second of it. But being the gracious lady that she was, she simply smiled. And so Theresa May picked up the cheese, put it there, and they went on with their part. <laughs> which is, that sort of thing is funny until it's done in front of the queen that oops 
And then it's a real kind of, and do you remember when Michelle Obama touched the Queen, which was like a, a huge faux pas, and the Queen actually jumped to her defence publicly when lots of people, um, when online media was kind of, oh, she touched the Queen, really awful, and the Queen actually jumped into her defence, because the Queen doesn't often make statements about things like that. So she actually did make a statement. I can't remember what the statement was, but I know it was defending Michelle Obama. And all it was was a, a, a little touch on the shoulder. But yeah, so interesting, isn't it? Well, it is because now I'm showing my age. I remember when Nancy Reagan faced the choice, and it was a big deal back in the day when the Reagans went over there and President Reagan and the Queen got along famously, uh, in part because of their love of horses. They were able to find uh, points of mutual joy. But when it was time to be greeted at the official ceremony, whatever it was, the Reagans had to decide whether or not they were going to bow and curtsy. So uh, I believe that Nancy Reagan, and somebody who's up on their history can correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that Nancy Reagan did not curtsy. She extended a warm handshake there and a nod so that she showed respect, but she wasn't going to do the curtsy. And why not? Because we're Americans, damn it. We don't do this kind of thing. You know? <laughs> so it's it was a question of what do you do in that circumstance, given the historical context? Oh, I've only ever officially had to meet one member of the royal family. And thank goodness I was dressed as Super Ted at the time. <laughs> And they kept me in the background. I was in. A, I was dressed as a bear, so uh, I didn't have to go anywhere near her, and I wasn't. I didn't have to shake her hand. So uh, that was Princess Margaret. But that's the only time. And then I've worked on things like the royal tournament and seen um, Diana and members of the royal family at the opposite, um, kind uh, in the opposite sort of stall, really, in these big arenas where they do these military tattoos. But that's the only time I've ever had to deal with it. I would be all over. The, I just. I wouldn't know what to do. I think you'd have to tell me three times what you're supposed to do and I'd still probably mess it up. So I'm really glad because all of the wording as well, you know, it's um, not man with ham, it's mom with, oh, I just, oh, just don't know. And of course now that isn't a problem. I don't know what you'd call the king. Sir, no, sir, look, don't know. Is it ma'am? No. So what would the king get called if it's not ma'am? Oh, I'm asking you. I don't know. But what do you <laughs> Not my bailiwick. I don't know. <laughs> But that's an interesting question that every Brit, every member of the UK, every subject, every citizen is going to have to get used to facing. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'll probably never have to kind of like bring it like, oh, but yes, I actually don't know the answer to that question. So, that, you know, I'd not even heard the word proclamation until the last few days. I had to look it up. You know, it's like, it's like just like, ah. So it is. It is interesting, and I think I think we're going to go on a bit of a journey. I, I I'm always fascinated by not just individual psychology, but group psychology, like because I believe that we're all part of a collective consciousness. So yeah. what starts to happen on the collective influences everybody, and so I feel like there is a collective grieving, and whether or not you feel part of it or not there's a collective then we've had to cancel lots of events because we're in a period of mourning so we're in this uh, period of mourning where our websites have to have you know black pages or all sorts of stuff on them um up until the funeral um and it, it's just it's just strange to have some things because it's down to your discretion so some things have been cancelled some things haven't been cancelled so basically anything joyous so we had circus performers in our local town today that were going to be performing a thing called whirly gig 
that had to be cancelled because we're not allowed to have any fun. Um, and then, but jumble sales went ahead. Um, so it, it's kind of been a tricky period of checking everything that you're doing to go, is this respectful? Is this disrespectful? To the point where my Facebook feed has completely changed. I am only seeing either pictures of the Queen or posts from my friends that are overseas. No one in the UK is posting anything. Nobody's posting anything because we're all just kind of a bit like, oh, I don't want to post the fact that I'm eating a large cake in case somebody thinks that I'm being disrespectful. So nobody's taking pictures of their lunch. Nobody's, you know, so my entire Facebook feed has completely changed to become like an international audience. There's, there's nothing coming from anyone in the UK unless it's related to the Queen. Um uh, you know, not even things about Charles coming through. Just so that's also really strange how that has changed. What's got what's coming through in terms of the social media, in terms of the things that you see. You know, so people are not doing the normal even job adverts and not going out, even though business needs to continue as usual. I think everyone's just waiting to see what everyone else does so that they don't do the wrong thing. I certainly would rather look at. Uh photos of Queen Elizabeth II being honored after her passing, far more than I want to see somebody's plate of bubble and squeak. <laughs> so this is, even, even in a situation like this, there is some benefit to be derived. I don't know what it is with people on, on Facebook. This is what I am about to eat for lunch. One of my uh, Twitter friends, on the other hand, there a couple of weeks ago, uh, took, I can't remember where she, she was, but she decided to go away on holiday, and she had two pints of beer sitting in front of her on a table, 32 pounds for the two pints of beer. Wow. And so, she just thought, what what world am I living in? <laughs> yeah. So maybe it's already started that these prices are going up. I mean, if she's in London, then that might have been the case because that's like, but, but, but this is what we're looking at because of the price of fuel and bringing things in. And yeah, it's really... Uh, it's really scary. It doesn't mean that I'm going to go out and panic buy cider and store it, but uh, actually that might be a good idea. Um, <laughs> start importing vodka or something. <laughs> I'll bet you could get some good deals if you know the right people, that's for sure. <laughs> we are talking with Becky Walsh, always a delight, even today, and this is a solemn occasion. And it was unplanned. We planned to have Becky with us, and then we lost the queen. The world lost the queen. And we're here to talk about her, about British culture, the, Im the imprint and the impact of the queen and her generations of rule and her quiet and very classy leadership, if I may say. And we have some funny stories besides. Give us a couple of minutes. We'll take our one break of the hour, then back with more of Manson Mitchell, more of Becky Walsh, right here on AM 1150. Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash manceandmitchell. 
If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world fame, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is ManceAndMitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomes Vincent Jenna, psychic therapist and medium who invites you to live the life of your dreams by finding the secret that's holding you back. On Saturday, Kathleen Martin, director of the Mutual UFO Network's experience research team, returns with new information about the abduction of her aunt and uncle Betty and Barney Hill back in 1961. Bringing you fascinating talks since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Get your daily dose of variety. Alternative Talk, 1150. Very good. Thus sings Sir Paul McCartney. Sir Paul McCartney. Knighted by Queen Elizabeth II, as was Ringo Starr. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest, Becky Walsh. Becky, we're we're talking all Queen Elizabeth all day here today, but um, you have written several books, and our normal conversation is quite metaphysical just let our listeners know the kinds of things that you're up to and how they can get in touch with you if they would like to do that. Yeah, great. So I write books on intuition. I'm just about to run a retreat in the Isle of Man, actually. And um, the Isle of Man is a, an, an island um, off, the, um, off the mainland of England. And uh, there's one point where you can actually see England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. You can see all of the kingdoms. Well, it is now kingdoms. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so I'm running a retreat on intuition there, which is going to be nice in, uh, in October. Um, but yeah, so if you want to check out what I'm doing, just head over to beckywalsh.com. And from there, you can springboard into to, uh, lots of YouTube content, free online courses um, in, on intuition, and uh, lots of really interesting stuff. And I've just started specialising in coaching people with neurodiversity. Uh, so that's also quite uh, an exciting thing because I realised that there was a real lack, you know, for people who've got, say, ADHD, um, you know, or dyslexia, dyspraxia, that sometimes that the, that the neural pathways don't fire in exactly the same ways and coaching needs to be adapted uh, to that audience. So I've been studying that and just started working for a company, working with people who are trying to get to employment but um, have difficulties with employment because um, they're neurodiverse or identify as such. So, yeah, another string to the bow. <laughs> yes, I, you're always into something interesting. Suzanne and I were hoping to rent a cottage in the Isle of Wight if it's not too dear. Oh, great. <laughs> you can do that. I can come over and see you. That would be lovely. That would be great. That would be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Let me tell you, Becky, that last month, Suzanne Mitchell and I made our first ever voyage our journey into new york city did you and how it did you find it 
we went we went out to now this is okay i'll tell the story quickly i said suzanne when we get to our host's home god bless and they're putting us up for a few nights turned out to be five nights there and uh they're going to ask us what we want to eat. I'll tell you what, why don't we go for Italian? Only I'm not going to go to some chain there. I mean, we're here in New Jersey. We're across the river. We can see the Manhattan skyline from this gentleman's front yard. I said, oh, my God, this is just so amazing there. But let's get some good New Jersey Italian food. And we didn't say anything. But I said to Suzanne while we we're still in the car on the approach to our, our house, I said, I don't want the chains. I want something, you know, they've got to have a name in there like Giuseppe or Luigi. You know, we want, we want that home cooking. So we get there, didn't say a word about dinner. We're just making conversation because this was our first in-person meeting. Lovely couple, the Petries. And um, Carl asked us, are you hungry? Are you ready to eat? We thought maybe you'd like to go out tonight for some Italian. And I said, well, guess what? I would love to have some Italian. I just don't want to go to the chains naturally. And he said, oh, don't worry about that. We're going to go to our favorite local place. It's called Casa Giuseppe. <laughs> there. And I said, that sounds good to me. Let's go with your plan. So we had a wonderful Italian dinner. And during dinner, we're finishing up. And Carl says, hey, how about I drive us into the city? We can go to Times Square on a Friday night. And I'm like, I, I, what, what? And not me with nothing to wear, but yes, okay, let's go. So we went through the Lincoln Tunnel, parked in Midtown Manhattan, stepped out into Times Square on a Friday night. It was extraordinary, as you can imagine. And I just, my jaw dropped and I'm staring at these magnificent skyscrapers looking all around me. And Suzanne goes, stop it. You look like a tourist. <laughs> but I am a tourist. <laughs> and I was wowed. It, it is so overwhelming. I remember the first time that I went there as well. It's just so overwhelming. I remember the first time I got in a yellow taxi. I think he had to jump in the back and clear, clear my saliva off the window because I was <laughs> stuck to it. I was just like, I was just really like, oh my God. You know, because you can't quite get close enough to the window to be able to see up. So uh, yeah, poor guy. He must have, uh, yeah, he must have been laughing. But um, yeah, but I, I went at the wrong time of year it was baking hot when I was there and I have to say I've traveled all over the world but there is no heat like New York heat there is not it's just I it's yeah really they had been broiling for a week prior to our arrival mighty good of them to be done with all of that nonsense before we arrived there but yes just the week before it was broiling hot in New York and New Jersey when we got there the weather had turned mild we really, we just yeah. caught that groove. Oh, because I've honestly, I've known it. And it was because I was like, this is great. The accommodation is really cheap. And it's because everyone, if you go and house share, um, everyone's gone to the Hamptons, apparently. God, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds posh. So everyone's gone to the Hamptons so you can get cheap accommodation where you can just cook inside of a small apartment, which is what I did. <laughs> So I'm imagining when we do, and I'm, I'm saying this aspirationally, when Suzanne and I do make our journey to London, which for me, that just about crosses off every uh, box on my bucket list. If I can make it to England, I do have roots there. 
And if we were to go to London, if somebody is going to do that, Becky, let's say they're going to meet Becky Walsh for dinner in town. Let's go into the city and we do that. What are the places? It's a Friday night and you're in charge. You know the place there. Where do you take your friends from out of town to go and see London that first night? I would take you to the Ivy. Oh, yes. So the, the, the Ivy is where when you work in theatre, everyone goes to the Ivy. So, I mean, you have to book a table. The food is completely amazing. It's ridiculously expensive. Of course, on me, I'd pay. And uh, it's, uh, but it is like you're sitting sitting at a table where you're kind of going, oh my God, did you see over there? But you try really hard not to, but it is the place to be where there's the, it's amazing food, lots of celebrities, lots of kind of theatre people. Um, that is probably where I would take you. That's like the, that is absolutely the best place. And I take it I'll have to bring a tie. No, I didn't know because this is the thing. It's like um, posh, famous people. They they never dress up. It's the people who are trying to look posh and famous that dress up, so they stand out. So you have to kind of go in there, like you know, with scuffed knee trousers, like you've been on your knees, kind of really casual, sort of you know, baseball cap on. You you'll fit in fine. Yeah, that'll do it. <laughs> Let me take this one step further. I don't want to hog the conversation. Sorry, Suzanne, there, but I did want to, to uh, make this observation. I have heard from some British friends of mine that to make a big deal, to be splashy, to be awkward to a celebrity is considered a faux pas over there because one celebrity can be acknowledged and, you know, I loved your latest film or something might be appropriate, but you don't act like a fanboy or a fangirl around them. It's all considered a bit embarrassing at that level. Yeah. You ignore them completely. You, you, you completely ignore them. Sometimes you see them on the tube and you just ignore them. You just, you pretend that you, you pretend that you haven't seen them almost like looking away from them. Um, yeah. So nobody ever really says anything to them. So they can actually kind of walk around quite normally and nobody really, really bothers them or says anything to them. Nobody really asks for their autograph. I think, I think that might be different with sort of like younger generation. And if you've got kind of like a pop star or something like that, I think that they can get mobbed, but I think it's, a, if people know a celebrity is going somewhere. So say for example, if it's a film launch in Leicester Square, then, yeah, you would queue up. You would be asking for autographs. You'd be screaming. You could do all of that. But if they're just like going about their normal business and you see them in a shop or you see them on the tube, you ignore them completely. Yeah. I and like that culture. That That's the way to do we, it. We get a little too crazy over here, over our celebrities. Parents must have thought that the whole Beatlemania thing was a collective leaving of one's senses there <laughs> when their children and even grandchildren there were just chasing the Beatles down the street going absolutely mad. Were there people at the time, did you grow up hearing that this is rather un-British, not suitable at all? Well, what? I mean, they took over the world. But this is the thing. If you had the Beatles together, you would chase them and mob them. But if you just had Paul McCartney on a street in Liverpool, you'd ignore him. So they would have ignored him if he was on his own. So it's kind of odd. But if there was like the group of them, then that would it's, it's a really weird, unspoken rule. Um, so when I worked in theatre, um, I did a show with, I'm just name drop here. I did a show with Kate Beckinsale. And in the show, she'd had her hair cut and dyed it red. 
Um, and at the time, I looked like her from the back because I had long, dark, curly hair. So she would send me out of the stage door first so that all of the autograph hunters would be running after me going, Miss Beckinsale, Miss Beckinsale, Miss Beckinsale. And I'd be walking really quickly like I couldn't be bothered. She would come out of the stage door and kind of get round the corner. And then I would turn around and go, oh, you mean me? Sorry, I'm not Kate. They'd go back to the stage door and she'd gone. <laughs> Well, isn't that clever? <laughs> the life of Becky Walsh. That's going to make a book and film. She used to borrow my jacket. I'll just tell you this really quick story because I think that this is really funny. We we arrived at a theatre. Normally, the the changing rooms are backstage, but the changing rooms in this theatre it was a disused. It was a converted church, so the changing rooms were at the front of house. So I said to all the actors, make sure you've got all of your costumes backstage. So if you've got any costume changes, they need to be backstage. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, they always brush you off. And Kate had this particular line where she had to um, have this jacket. And the line was, you know, where would you get the jacket? She says, uptown. He says, I like it. She says, thanks. Right. It's just a, a breakup conversation. Anyway, she completely forgot her jacket and I'm wearing a jacket. But the only thing is, it was a really hot day. So I've got my jacket on, but with very little on underneath. So just my bra. She knows this. So she's like, Becky, Becky, I need your jacket. I need your jacket. The scene's coming up. Becky, Becky, give me a jacket. Give me a jacket. Give me a jacket. So in the interest of theatre, I have to take it off, give it to her. I'm sitting there like this, like cueing the show. I can't move because otherwise the sound and the lights don't happen. So I have to be here. So I'm sitting there like that. They're all killing themselves laughing. She goes on stage and, and uh, the line is, where'd you get your jacket? She said, I borrowed it off Becky. He says, I like it. She goes, so do I. I'm keeping it. And she didn't think <laughs> she, she went front of house to get changed. And I'm still sat there. Just waiting for it to come out. She's a real um, joker. She, she, she plays practical tricks on people all the time. I should have seen this one coming, but there you go. I love that story. That's great. From have one you, queen to another. In your wide circle of friends and associates becky do you have those who however discreetly they might editorialize say perhaps even now or especially now we loved and love our queen we do not love the monarchy and perhaps this is an and speaking of brexit maybe this is an exit point for the monarchy to either change in a radical way to become if you will democratized or is it time for us to restructure the relationship between the commoners and the royals? Yeah, you see, this is really um, a very interesting point, because I think, you know, given um, Charles's history, of course, the death of Diana and the way that she was loved, um, I think it's really very tricky because I think on one regard, as we're heading into, you know, financial crisis, this is a very expensive extravagance, really, having a royal family. So I think that... You know, on one regard, people argue, oh, but it brings tourists in, it brings money in and people find it really interesting. You know, it is who we are. It's the backbone of what it is to be British. Lots of those sorts of thoughts. But then there's the question, what actually are they doing? You know, like what what are they doing? So and I think that closed door policy where we actually don't really understand the life of the royal family we don't really understand what they're doing and also off the back of i won't go too far into this but obviously the, off the back of prince andrew and uh, everything that's happened around the rumors around that and how that's been handled i think it is a really difficult time for the royals to to either reinvent themselves and what does that look like 
or are people going to get to the point where more and more people are are anti-royal um and i I think nobody's ever been anti-queen, but there's definitely people who are anti-royal that are, are really against that sort of level of establishment. So I I really don't know. And and it's weird, as a very opinionated person as I am, I have no opinion on this. And the reason why I have no opinion is because I don't really understand it. Like when I look back on history, like I work for a council and there's an awful lot of pomp and circumstance around the mayor that we have. Um, and there's a lot of very strong religious things. But even like the upholding of the church that goes along with the royal family. Um, now in modern times, that's kind of like seen in a, in a sense as not being inclusive you know, to, to the many cultures that now live in the United Kingdom. So I think that there's so many questions around identity is, you know, are we uh, a melting pot or are we asking people to conform to our worldview or what what are we now? And we're not an empire anymore. Like where, and and we are quite embarrassed about the empire um, and about all sorts of things that have happened in our history. Now we're starting to really uncover some of the things that have been covered up. Um, so I, I, I really, I, I really, really don't know. And I think that this is a shift point that, you know, when we were talking um, about collective consciousness, I think that we are going through a real shift point in terms of humanity um, because we have to, because if we continue with this um, consumer-based life of which, I, and I think that this is relevant because when you look at the royal family, it's aspirational. You're you're always aspiring to be one class above where you are. And that should be, but the royal family are the top line. So you kind of go, OK, so if we're living in a consumer society that's always about doing better, having better, being more, growth, 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 we are going to destroy the planet. So in a way, I think that part of the idea of... Um, consuming less, living simply, um, not having as much in order to save the planet, um, then we also need to dismantle our class structures that lead to this idea of, of greed, really, that lead to this idea of kind of, well, um, we've got the worker bees, the people who are um, the working class that earn the money to pay for the rich people. And then I think with a lot of the the gas and oil prices that are plunging people not only into just poverty but death because they're not turning on their heating and yet the oil giants are still making the same they're making billions and our government seem to be able to do nothing about capping um, the money that goes to the oil companies so that there's more money that goes back into taking down fuel prices all of this is related and I think that you get to a point of I think we're at a point of not exactly a revolution but um, a, um, a revolution where we lose our, our apathy. We've been in a state of ambivalence. And I think we're losing our ambivalence. And I think people are starting to uprise and say, I've had enough. I'm done. I am not watching my, you know, my mother die because she can't turn the heating on. I've had enough. And I think when you get to the point where people feel that they've had enough, they believe that they are enough as they are without needing to consume more stuff in order to prove that they are better than their next door neighbours because their lawn is greener. So I know that that's a big kind of conversation and I don't know if I have any answers with that, but I certainly feel that there's a revolution of consciousness taking place. I hope so. And we have been hearing more and more like this. And it, it came up yesterday, as a matter of fact, in the conversation that we had where uh, I was bringing up the story of Gary and I going to Yellowstone National Park and at the entrance 
the park ranger gave us a map and said, remember, you're the guests here. This this park belongs to the animals. And so, you know, behave like good guests. And and so that was that was the little admonition that we got going into the park. But then it came up right again yesterday with our guest who was saying that really the whole world is like that. We are guests on this planet. We're not masters of the planet. We don't own it. And the greedy have kind of, you know, run amok for a really long time so that, you know, it isn't about how much I can get for me, but how can I make my life good and other people's lives good? And so we start thinking more collectively and less individually. And I thought that was um, a good comment about where we may be headed. Yeah, we've got hands. We're gardeners. We're we're there for stroking puppies. You know, I don't think that we're we're. You know, I think that we are. We look how we look for a reason, and it is to take care. I think it really is to take care. And I think when we come back to that, we remember. But I remember the the religion that my grandmother had. She was Catholic, and she would say the animals are put on the earth by God to serve humans. And I just think that's not the right way around. And I think it's undoing a lot of that programming um, that comes from different, um, you know, different religious elements. I think it's undoing that programming of the fact that we we somehow think we're better than and we are not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Right. Right. We we don't own that stuff. We never owned it. We're here to take care of it while we're here and then pass that along. But you know, this idea that I can buy this, buy that, buy something else. And, and then pretty soon the house and the person and the everything just looks like a big bloated nothing. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And I think that we're now starting to get that point of feeling really ashamed about it. Shame's a very powerful, um, yeah. a powerful emotion. And I think, you know, off the back, I think off the back of the roller coaster that we're about to go through is in, in the United Kingdom with all of these emotions, you know, because I think we have that disbelief. I think that the grief will come. And I think that we'll then have to say, OK, actually, um, if we've lost our figurehead, then why can't we have collective figureheads within us all that we can all actually stand up with the gifts that we've got and play our part in the world? You know, Mm -hmm. so rather than kind of like going, oh, we're all set adrift, maybe the time now is to start rowing. If you feel that you're set adrift, then get your hands on the oars instead of just sitting there kind of going, I don't know where I'm going. (laughs) Sometimes happens, you know. Yeah, yeah. Very good, Becky. Becky Walsh, we're so thrilled that you were here to join us today. You took time to speak with us and our listeners. We send you our condolences and we look forward to talking with you again in normal times. It's always a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you ever so much. And hi to everyone listening. Thank you. All right. Join us next Friday, same time. And next Saturday, same time. And in the meantime, have a good week, everybody.